We're going to look at something along that line. Haggai, or Haggai, however you pronounce it this morning. Chapter number 1, right behind the book of Zephaniah, right before Zechariah. Those little books that are hard to find sometimes, probably where the pages of your Bible are stuck together. Uh, That's probably where you're looking for this morning. Haggai or Haggai, I've been corrected for saying it both ways, and uh, so you know where we're going this morning. I want you to remain seated, if you don't mind. I'm going to read several verses today, and we'll come back and pick up a few extra during the context of the message. Haggai chapter number 1. And we're going to look down, trying to decide where to begin this morning. There's several verses we need to see. Let's pick up in verse number 12. Chapter 1, verse number 12. The Bible says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. That's always a good reaction, isn't it? Word of God is preached, God's people receive it and act upon it. Verse 13, Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. Kind of a neat correlation there. The people were obedient, and God says, I want you to know I'm going to be with you. Verse 14, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. This will be our key text today, so pay close attention. The son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I do thank you this morning, uh, Lord, for your word and the power that is, that is in it, Lord, this morning. And I pray that, Lord, we would allow your word to work in our hearts and our lives. And, Lord, as we do focus for a moment today on our heritage and, Lord, the blessings of this church that you have given us, Lord, through the past 71 years and the lives that have been changed, I pray that, Father, we would take that as encouragement and look toward the future of what you desire to do. And, Lord, help us to see that our obedience is going to be key, that, Lord, if you're going to be with us and you're going to work through us, that, Lord, we must be obedient to the word that you send us. And I pray we'll be, uh, be that today and do that today. And I pray your will be accomplished in the service, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this morning as I sat on the couch and had my coffee, uh, in a normal year, uh, we would be really having a big celebration today. Last year, I had just gotten here, and uh, we really didn't have a big Heritage Sunday. We had a guest speaker in on Sunday night where the Bartlett came, and uh, what a blessing that service was. And we were looking toward this year to having a big Heritage Sunday. We invited a lot of people to come in for that. Uh, But I think we would all agree this morning that 2020 has not been a normal year. It's been anything but normal. As a matter of fact, I was driving yesterday to preach a funeral, preach uh, along with Brother TJ, a funeral in uh, Louisiana, and we got somewhere between Covington and Simpson County and ran into the 15th plague of what we've been going through of love bugs. I didn't know they'd arrived just yet, uh, but if you're looking for them, they're somewhere between Covington and Simpson counties, and our car windshield was just covered uh, in all of the love bug stuff all over our windshield, and as much as I hate it, I just can't help but smile every time we hit one because that That's one less that's out there, amen? But as we're going down the road, we'd run into that. I told my wife, I said, just about figures. I mean, I was waiting on the next plague to come. The hurricane passed through, so now cue the love bug. So we've gone through anything but a normal year, and normally we would be celebrating our heritage today, and I assure you that we can celebrate it even though we're not having a big event here at our church. You know, I celebrate my anniversary July the 9th every year. That's our anniversary. But to be honest with you, I celebrate uh, being married to my wife just about every day of the year. I'm thankful to have my wife. I celebrate the wonderful wife that God's given me. So you don't have to just wait till once a year to celebrate the heritage that we have. And I believe for all honest this morning, many of you that are here in this early service have been here for a little while at Central. And I think you could look back and even educate me a little bit better on the heritage of our church. But one thing we'd all agree on today is that we, like David, can look back and see that we have a goodly heritage. We can look back on our church and see the hand of God working in this place. And I can remember, I know as far back when I was 12 years old, that was about 28 years ago, coming to youth rallies here at Central. I used to sit right back on the back, kind of in the right, uh, with our youth group that was here, where the Wells was here, different speakers would come in. Uh, As a kid, I'd come here and hear where the Hiles preach. My dad would bring us here, listen to them. And what a great heritage our church has. And we look back and we can see where godly men and women uh, not only came to begin this work, but kept this work going. Uh, This work here today is not an accident. Uh, Someone answered the call of God to plant Central Baptist Church, but throughout the years, the most important task has been those who have kept the work going and continued the work here. 
I was thinking this morning about a story my dad's told many times about his childhood that after church, when they would have dinner on the ground at their church as a kid in Florida, uh, they would have uh, ice cream. I believe it was ice cream fellowships after that. And uh, evidently, they uh, I don't know if they didn't have electric uh, ice cream makers back then. I'm not sure. In the good old days, I'm not sure if they had them or not, but they had hand crank ice cream machines. Any of you uh, recall those? I think some of you may have seen those before. And evidently, you had to crank it to keep the thing turning. And uh, I'll be honest with you, that was the only way to have ice cream today most of America would never have ice cream uh, because it's something you'd have to work for. Nobody wants to work for anything anymore. And if you had to work at ice cream, I don't even think people would work for ice cream anymore. My dad was telling me they would line up all the boys there uh, at the back of the church and they would all take their turn cranking on that handle, keeping the ice cream going. And if it stopped, you know, the ice cream would melt. And so this guy would crank until his arm got tired. And I'm sure they were smart enough to tap into the male ego of pride on who could go the longest and keep going and who had the biggest muscles that could keep cranking that ice cream. But here's the moral of the story. If you stopped cranking on that thing, the ice cream was going to melt. And you were going to miss out on something good because you didn't continue the work that was begun by someone else. And I believe this morning our church is just like that. As a matter of fact, I believe Central Baptist Church is a lot sweeter than ice cream uh, and a lot healthier for you too, amen? Ice cream doesn't do a whole lot for you in here. It might taste good, but it doesn't do a whole lot for you. But Central Baptist Church has been used of God to see so many people uh, not only come to the Lord in salvation, but their lives change and their families change. You think about this. I mean, what a wonderful thought. There have been entire family trees who have been changed for the good because of Central Baptist Church. Because the hand of God that was used through this place and the men and women of God who served God faithfully through this place, who did not let the ball drop. They kept cranking on that handle so that we could have what we have. They kept the work going. They kept the work stirred up here. Now, we all have heard the phrase before that if you don't keep something stirred up, you know what's going to happen? It's going to settle. I think we've all seen on cereal boxes or, uh, or, or candy boxes or potato chip bags, it says some settling may occur. Uh, I mean, sometimes I'm like, I think all the settling occurred. It wasn't just some of it. It was all of you. Open that bag of chips and it's this big and there's that many chips in there. What's happened? It's all settled toward the bottom. And things settle down when there's not someone there to keep it stirred up, to keep that crank moving. I look at our country today and all that we're going through right now. And can I tell you something? A lot of what's going on in our country today really does not define the majority of our nation. I don't believe it does for a moment. I don't believe all of the division defines all of us in America. As a matter of fact, as I go about my business on a daily basis out and about town, I've yet to find someone who hates me and I've yet to find someone that I hate. I get along well with it, just about everybody in society. There's a few Alabama fans out there who make it difficult, but I still get along with them as best as possible. And yet you see this constant turmoil we're going through in our country. You see all of this division and all of this violence, and you see all of these people heckling people and harassing people. Can I tell you why all of this is continuing to go on? Because there's just a small group that is out there of people listening from all different kinds of walks of life who are keeping things stirred up. They're just keeping things stirred up. They are paid agitators. I think George Soros has a lot to do with that. I want you to know we're not as divided as we appear, but if someone keeps these things stirred up, the division and the hatred and the violence in our country, it's going to continue. It's a tactic, by the way, that Satan knows all too well. In fact, we read about the temple, what Haggai is speaking about in Ezra chapter 4, verse 5. The Bible says that they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. There were those that Satan had sent to keep things stirred up and to keep division going as they tried to build the temple. And this is what's happening in our country today. But can I tell you something this morning? The devil shouldn't be the only one that's stirring things up. The devil shouldn't be the only one that keeps some things stirred up. The people of God have some things, by the way, more worthwhile things to stir up this morning. But the problem is the devil is better at stirring up things than God's people are stirring up things. And what's happening here in the book of Haggai, the work on the temple has ceased. The people have retreated to their own lives. As a matter of fact, if you'll look at, <clears throat> look at verse number 2, the Bible says, thus, uh, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? The work of the Lord had ceased because the people of God had got busy living their own life. 
The people of God had gotten busy doing their own thing, absorbed, self-absorbed, if you will, doing what they were doing, and the work of God had settled down. And God sent the prophet to say, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses? And the Bible says, this house, speaking of the house of the Lord, lieth waste. God challenges them in verse number 5 to consider their ways. He says the same thing in verse number 7. And he tells them in verse number 6, a beautiful picture here. I think you could almost see America if you squint hard enough. You have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but are not filled with drink. Ye clothe, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. He said, you're going through all of this trouble and all of this work to get and to have and to pile up all of these things, but it's never producing anything. You have nothing to show for all of your labor. And he's trying to show them that their poverty was a direct result of their negligence to the work of God. Can I tell you the reason America is in going through this impoverished time? Uh, we're going through this difficult time of division uh, and violence. We're going through this time in our country, this very dark hour, is a direct result of the people of God neglecting the work of God. He says, understand, it's time to build my house. It's time to be about my work. By the way, he says, verse 6, you notice all the trouble you're going through and you're not having anything to show for it? It's because you've neglected my work. He begins to tell them in verse number 8. He goes down to tell them it's time to build his house. But watch what happens. Verse number 14. The Bible says, And the Lord, watch closely, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. All of a sudden, God stirred up the hearts of three individuals we're going to look at here this morning to go back and to get back to the work of God and continuing the work on building the temple. And those people, those that decided to allow themselves to be stirred of God, can I tell you something this morning? You don't have to be stirred of God. God's not going to stir you against your will. If you don't allow God to stir you, God's not going to stir you, and you can leave here today just as settled as you were when you came here this morning. What a sad thing it is that we come to the house of God, and God's got his spoon ready, and God desires to stir our heart, and God desires to stir our spirit, but we have a sign posted on our heart, no stirring allowed. My wife has that rule in the kitchen, Brother Nate. I don't know what her big deal is about not stirring her pots. She doesn't like me to stir the rice. She doesn't like me to stir the dumplings. She just don't let me stir anything, Brother Michael. I don't know what her problem is. She catches me. She hears me. I mean, she can be in the other bedroom, and I'm just walking through the kitchen, and I'll hear her holler from the back of the house, don't stir my soup. Don't stir my rice. I mean, it's just like she can see that. A lot of times we're that way with God. Holy Spirit comes up and down each row. Holy Spirit comes up and down each aisle. He desires to stir our heart for the work of God. He desires to stir up our spirit to get back to the work of God, to get away from being self-absorbed, and to get back what God's called us to do. And we tell God, don't stir my pot. I don't want to be stirred up. I, listen, I'm satisfied being settled. And he tells us in verse 5, he would say, Central Baptist Church, consider your ways. He says, listen, you can work and work and work in verse number 6, but if you don't allow me to stir you to the work of God, it's never going to pay off. And I believe this morning what God is looking for is God is looking for someone to stir. And this morning I want to preach a very simple thought on the search for someone to stir. I believe God's walking up and down each row. The Holy Spirit of God is going to come your way this morning. And he's got his spoon in his hand. And he's looking for people that he could stir up again. You say, well, I was stirred up when I was younger. I understand. Demographically, this is our older group that's here. And you say, well, look, I've had my time. I was kind of, I was stirred up back in the 70s and 80s and stirred up in the 90s. But listen, it's somebody else's turn. Can I tell you something? If it doesn't happen in this group, I fear it may not happen at all. And I believe this morning this group right here needs to be stirred of God again as we were stirred of God in decades past when the great work of God was done here. And I believe if this group in here this morning could allow God to stir them again for the work of God, I believe we'd see God do a work. Now the interesting thing in the book of Haggai is God speaks and the people listen. God speaks and the people listen. The people say, okay. 
All right, I see what's going on. We're having negative effects in verse number 6. We consider our ways and we realize we've got to get away from being self-absorbed in our work and get back to the work of God. So this morning, I want to look at the three men that are mentioned in verse number 14. And we're going to see how God stirred these three different groups of people back to his work. The message this morning is simply the search for someone to stir. And I hope you'll let God stir you today. Let's look at the first. Verse 14. I have so many verses, words underlined in chapter 1 of Haggai. I've preached out of this book so many times. And every time we go back, we find something wonderful. And I want you to see something in the life of this man. The Bible says in verse 14, it's called Zerubbabel. The Bible says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel. Now, Zerubbabel is very interesting because God's going to use this man to go back and continue the work of the Lord in the temple. God's going to stir this man's heart to lead a group of people. You see, God always needs some people to lead the group, okay? God needs some people to be the guinea pigs to allow him to stir them first where they can go be used of God to stir others. And there's just three here this morning. And the first one's quite interesting. His name is Zerubbabel, and he's never done what God's calling him to do. It's interesting, when you look up his name, Zerubbabel, you'll notice that in his name, the tail end of his name, you find the word Babel. The word Zeru, the prefix, means seed of. Zerubbabel is the seed of Babel. Zerubbabel was born in captivity. He was literally a descendant of Babel. He was born in captivity. And yet God is calling him to begin a new chapter in his life. God is calling him to go do something he's never done before. And can I tell you this morning, the first group of people that need to be stirred are those that God stirs to begin something new. That's point number one today, to begin something new. What's wonderful about the work of the Lord is experience doesn't necessarily matter. All throughout Scripture, we find people who were called of God to be a part of the work of God who had very little experience in doing what God was calling them to do. How often does God stir our heart or God desire to stir our heart? And we know it. Oh, listen, we know it very well. Look, I know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like. I know what it's like when the Holy Spirit is making his way over to my chair and I see the spoon in his hand. And he's wanting to do something. And I'm thinking, oh, no, Lord, please. I've only been here 18 months. Don't stir me up for something else. Listen, I'm trying to get settled in here. He says, no, I don't want you to get settled. I want you to get stirred. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm still learning a lot of new things that I haven't figured out yet. And God says, no, I've got something else I want you to do. There's something I want you to learn here. I want you to help these folks to do this thing. And oftentimes I'm thinking, Lord, I've never done that before. The last six months I've counseled people in matters that I have never had to counsel people before. The circumstances of our society, I, I honestly believe this. I read a statistic last night that divorce is through the roof the last six months. I, I read that uh, marriage annulments and divorces under two years of marriages, a marriage have gone through the roof. Uh, suicides are through the roof. The circumstances of our world right now have brought a lot of things to the surface. And we're having to counsel things that I think most of the time would have remained buried, and yet they're coming to the surface. And I'm thinking, Lord, I've never done this before. God says, you know what? You don't have to have experience always to do what God's calling you to do. God's looking for people that are simply willing. Zerubbabel had been born in captivity. And yet God is calling him to go and be a part of a work and do something that he's never done before. Can I tell you this morning, in order for God to work in this church as he did in the heritage that we have, looking back and seeing his hand, some people might just have to let God stir them to begin something new that they've never done before. And boy, it's scary, isn't it? I think we see that in the life of Moses when God begins to call Moses. And Moses has spent 40 years, I call it the back 40. Moses has been on the back 40, following these sheep around. I mean, just kind of a low-key life. And here God speaks to him out of the burning bush and tells him, I want you to go and negotiate with Pharaoh. Now, first of all, Moses thought he'd be killed if he went back. And yet now God wants him to go be a diplomat. And Moses begins telling him why he can't do what God's calling him to do. Why? He doesn't have experience in that. Moses said, I I can't do that. I, I can't speak well. You see, he was trying to talk himself out of what God was calling him to do because he had a lack of experience in what God was leading him to do. Folks, can I tell you, if God tries to stir your heart for something this morning, he's got the right guy. If God tries to stir your heart to be a part of a work of God, the work of God, or a specific work of God, listen, God doesn't make a mistake when he brings the spoon to your heart. 
God's just looking for someone who is willing. What did he say in Isaiah? He says, here am I. He wasn't searching for someone who could. He said, I'm searching for someone who will. There's a lot of things this morning that I can't do, but through Christ I can if I'm just willing. Funny story. I meant to get with him this morning and get all of the details because it's hilarious. You'll have to ask Brother LaPaul in this story. Him and his family were visiting a church some years ago, and uh, mom, dad, and the kids there, a uh, good-looking family, you know, show up to church. They walked into this church for the first time. They walk in, they sit down, and after the preacher gets up and does the announcements, he says, brother, it's good to have you all this morning. We're glad you were able to make it. He says, after uh, the offertory, you folks just come on up and sing. Brother Lapone is just sitting there thinking, what on earth is happening? Well, if you know Brother Lapone, listen, he doesn't back down. After the offertory, him and his family stood up. His wife goes to the piano. They stand in front of the church, and they sing a special. Afterwards, he goes and sits down, and the preacher says, Brother, well, you're the missionary. You're preaching. Come on up here and preach. He says, I'm not the missionary. He says, you're not the missionary? He says, no. He says, well, why did you get up and sing? He said, you just asked us to get up there and sing, so we just got up there and sing. I thought to myself, if he would asked me to get up there to sing, I wouldn't have been up there singing, to be honest with you. I tried to be nice, but I wouldn't have got up there and sang. Somebody needed to sing. It says, okay, they need somebody to sing. We're just going to get up there and sing. And, oh, if God could just find some people like that, who quit trying to talk God out of why God's trying to call them, who quit trying to talk God out of why he's trying to stir them. He said, well, God, I'm just a little bit too old. I can't get around like I used to be able to get around. And God, I'm not as sharp as I used to be. Listen, if God brings the spoon to your heart this morning, he's got the right guy or he's got the right lady. But you've got to let him stir. Remember when God called the prophet Jeremiah? I love reading it, obviously, because we share the same name and because he was called to preach at a young age like I was. And so I read a lot of the book of Jeremiah. What did he say? He says, ah, ah. He said, I can't speak for I'm a child. What is he doing? He's telling God he had the wrong guy. God come and he stirred his heart. I want you to be a prophet. And you read what God called him to do? He said, listen, I want you to root out and to tear down and to build up. He's telling a kid this. You imagine a kid saying, you want me to go to a world of grown-ups and you want me to root out and tear down and prophesy? Oh, you got the wrong guy. No, God had exactly who he wanted. God had the spoon and the right heart. Jeremiah had to be convinced of what God was stirring him to do. Now, folks, if we want to see God work again, not just in this church, but through this church in this country, some people have got to allow God to stir their heart to begin something new. One of the greatest demographics I see right now in my experience of people going to the mission field, this is no joke, is people over the age of 50. I see it happening regularly now. Pastors resigning their churches, going to the mission field. And here's what they say. I've talked to so many of them. They say, the young people are not going. The young people are not going. And I'll tell you, they're not. Why? Because the same problem they had in Haggai chapter 1, they're so self-absorbed in their own lives. God says, listen, I don't care how young you are, how old you are. I'm just looking for somebody who's willing to let me do something new through them that maybe they haven't done before. I believe we see a pattern of that in Matthew chapter 4 with the disciples. Right after they got out of Bible college, Christ called them to his service. No, right after they got out of their boat, these were fishermen. Had very little experience, if any experience. I mean, listen, if I was a fisherman, I might just be a fisherman to get away from people. Uh, You know, a fisherman's a nice job. Just get out there on a boat and get out there and just sail around, you know, and fish a little bit. I mean, that's kind of a quiet, secluded job. And now Christ is calling them to go and change the known world. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Can I tell you, Christ had exactly who he wanted. He called exactly who he wanted to the work that he was calling to do or desired to do. And they had to make the decision of whether or not they were going to be stirred by his words. Bible says straightway they left their nets and they followed him. I think about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power of God. There's too much stock this morning put into ability rather than availability to the work of God. Listen, you don't have to be greatly experienced in the work of God to do a great work for God. You've just got to be willing and available. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not coming with excellency of speech. Paul says, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power of God. Listen, would it encourage you this morning to let God stir your heart to be a part of the work of God if he promised to take care of the details? Would it encourage you to do that? 
We were this 15-year-old kid when I started to preach. I didn't know exactly what God wanted me to do, but I knew he was stirring. Well, I think the whole service that night, June of 1995, I'm sitting there, and it's almost like I saw the Holy Spirit walking from the front to the back where I was sitting with a spoon in his hand. And I'm thinking, no, 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 not, not, not here. You ever have one of those things, been in a group of people where they're picking volunteers, and you just have that gut feeling you're going to get picked? Oh, you know, I'm sitting there in the service, whole service, my heart is just beating, not me, not me. The guy next to me, maybe the guy next to me, not me. And the Holy Spirit's making his way. It's like duck, duck, goose, you know, and you're thinking, not me. I don't want to get up and run around, you know, I'm getting too old for that. Not, and sure enough, here he comes. I'll tell you what, what helped me to be able to surrender to God was the fact, number one, I have a heritage of mom and dad and grandma and grandpa who has surrendered their life to God, and I saw God take care of the details. Man, I've always had the ability, but God worked through the availability. I says, God, listen, I may not have the ability but I have availability, and God used that to do something new in my life, something that maybe I never thought I'd do myself. Why? Because that's what God can do. God can make all things new. It's interesting that Babel's a picture of the world system. It's always Babylon's a picture of the world system. And here Zerubbabel was born into that. And just because he was born into it didn't mean he had to stay there. God called him out of Babel to go and do a great work of God. And folks, listen, just because you're born in one place doesn't mean you have to stay there. Just because, listen, you may be like me, a little bit of an introvert, doesn't mean God can't take you to be something through his power. I'll give you a prime example. I missed the men's prayer breakfast yesterday. I heard it went very, very well. I wasn't boycotting your preaching, by the way, Brother Nate. Uh, but yesterday I, I had to be a part, uh, or I got to be a part of a funeral. Uh, Brother TJ was very gracious enough to invite me to be, uh, to assist him on a funeral yesterday for a man uh, that I loved very much. And I'll tell you the story about it. His name is Scotty Crow. If you remember, my very first Sunday here was Mother's Day 2019. And uh, I sat up here on the platform. My heart is beating out of my chest, as it still does. And I look up here on the right where Brother Michael and Miss Evelyn are sitting. And there was a family from Bayou. And after the service, I asked him, what are you doing here? And because I'm thinking, Brother TJ's going to kill me. You're not supposed to be here. And he says, well, you said before you left, it'd be nice to see a familiar face every once in a while. And so they just showed up here to support us in our first service. Well, Brother Scotty uh, tragically passed away this week, and I got to go be part of his funeral. Let me tell you about his story. Brother Scotty was an atheist. Uh, he'll say that by his own testimony. He was an atheist, had nothing for religion or preachers. The few times that I was around Scotty before he ever came to our church, uh, I felt like I had the plague. You know, I do sometimes with church members. I don't expect it from church members, but, you know, lost folks, I expect that from them. The preacher, you know, has those cooties. You stay away from him. And uh, finally, on January the 7th, 2018, I'm sitting up on the platform. I look out in the back right, and here walks in Scotty and Amanda Crow. Couldn't believe he was there. He was a grumpy, grouchy guy, you know, just, just didn't have a happy look on his face hardly ever. Didn't like preachers, didn't let you know he didn't like preachers. But his, he promised his wife he'd go to church at least one more time. That Sunday morning, January the 7th, 2018, Miss Amanda Crow walks down the left aisle, comes down, and she says, I'm lost and I need to be saved. And she trusted Christ as her Savior that Sunday. Next Sunday, January the 14th, 2018, I look back in the back. Here comes Scotty and Amanda Crow. Walked in again. We didn't scare them off. After the service, I invited them out to eat. We went and ate Catfish Charlie's on Highway 165 in Monroe. As we sat there, I said, Scotty, tell me about your, uh, your background, your church background. He said, I don't have none. I said, uh, well, you know, you ever been to church? You're like, yeah, I've been a couple of times, but I don't believe in it. I knew a lot of preachers. They're hypocrites. There's nothing to religion. It's all just a show. So we sat there for a while. I think, well, this is going to be a tough nut to crack. After a little while, we're sitting there at the table, and I talked to him and said, Scotty, before we go, I need to ask you one quick question. I'm going to let you go home. I said, if you died right now, are you sure you'd go to heaven? He said, well, of course not. He said, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. I said, Scotty, if I could tell you how you could know for sure, would you like to know for sure you go to heaven? He said, well, of course, but they're not going to let me in. I said, why? He began to tell me, and look, if there was a criteria, he might not have made it in. I said, what if I told you the Bible says there's none righteous? No, not one. That means the preacher included. The Bible says it's not of works. But I showed him how he could be saved. And right there in Catfish Charlie's, Scotty bowed his head and trusted Christ as a Savior. Two weeks later, I'd baptize him and his wife uh, on a cold. The baptistry heater was out that day. Oh, it was, it was a memorable baptism. After that, Scotty became my friend. He took me fishing. He took me hunting. I mean, he'd come by my office. He, bought me, he would buy me funky socks, things along that line. And it was just unlikely friendship between me and Scotty Crow. Yesterday, Brother T.J. got up to preach the main part of the service after I spoke. And Brother T.J. called Scotty a miracle. 
Here was this guy who was an atheist. Here was this guy who hated preachers and hated religion and said he'd never go back to church but only went one time because he promised his wife he would go and yet God changed his life. He even went soul winning with me. Scotty came and sat in my office one day and cried his eyes out. Let me tell you why. He says, listen, I've been holding bitterness in my heart against the guy that I had a bad business deal with and you said preaching the other day that I'm not right with God if I'm not right with man and I need to get right with him. I said, well, what do you want to do about it? He says, Jim's going to be here at five. I says, wait a minute, what? He said, Jim's going to be here at 5. I says, why? He says, we got to settle this. I said, like here, my office? He said, yeah, he's going to be here at 5. Well, Jim shows up. Jim's a big old muscular ball-headed guy. And they sit on the couch. I says, well, tell me what happened. Scotty turns to Jim and he says, this is the idiot that ruined my business. I'm thinking to myself, it's about to get rough. I didn't ask for this. This was not in the job description. We're sitting there on the couch, and I says, well, why are you here today? He says, because I need to get right with Jim. By the way, Jim was the one that was wrong. But Scotty had to be right with him. I said, what do you mean? I said, back up, back up, back up. Back up. You're here today because you want to apologize? He said, that's what you said. The Bible says you got to be right. So they sat there. They shook hands. They hugged. We cried, and they left. And I wondered if that really happened. They walked out the door, and I was thinking, is this a joke? Here's a Christian who was so serious about being right with God that he called a friend he had a problem with to come to church and get right. And this was a guy that just a few months before was an atheist. What happened? He let God stir him. He was an atheist who let God stir his heart for the need to be saved. And I'm talking about all of his Christian life. He'd come by my office after you get off work just frustrated and mad. I said, why? He said, some people just make it hard to be a Christian. I said, yes, they do. Usually it's Christians. Why do they make it so hard to be nice? Why do they make it so hard? He was fighting to live the life that God called him to. And it just blessed my heart as a pastor that somebody was put up a fight to live the life that God had called him to live. You see, here was a man who God took him from somewhere to somewhere even better because he allowed God to stir his heart. Can I ask you this morning, even if it meant coming out of your comfort zone, would you allow God to stir your heart for his work? If it meant beginning something new, would you allow God to stir your heart to be a part of something maybe you've never done before? Would you allow God to take you from where you were born, to take you to something better, to use you to his glory? By the way, all throughout Scripture we find Christ working in people's lives outside of their comfort zone. God's probably not going to leave you in your comfort zone. He's going to take you out in order to use you. So number one, Zerubbabel. He was someone that God used, that God stirred to begin something new. But let's keep reading quickly. The Bible says in verse 14, The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua. The Bible says the son of Josedek, the high priest. Now this is interesting. Joshua is a little bit different than Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was born in captivity in Babel, but yet Joshua comes from a long line of high priests. If you will, without being disrespectful, it was their family business. His great-grandfather was the high priest. His grandfather was the high priest. His father did not get to be the high priest because they were in captivity. And yet now, it's Joshua's turn. Now Joshua gets to go back and continue the work there in the temple. The second group I want to show you this morning real quickly. The second group that God would call back to his work is he was calling some to continue what they knew. All right? Zerubbabel would be called to go from where he was at to where God was calling him to be to do something entirely new. But yet Joshua was someone who knew about the ministry. Joshua was someone who grew up in a family that had a heritage of high priest, okay? It was his family business, if you will. And yet he had been taught about it and he had been trained for it. But now it was time for him to go and to continue what he knew to do. This morning, can I tell you what I believe we need God to do here in our church? And I believe this is probably the biggest demographic. Is we need God to stir the hearts and people to allow God to stir their hearts to continue what they know. All right? If you've been in this church any length of time, maybe you've been in this church for decades, maybe you grew up in our school and kids come up through our school and they live in our, they live in our church and yet you've gone through all of this and you've heard all of this and you've been taught all of these things and yet now it's time to continue that. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we're not doing what we know to do. 
Think about our heritage and all the great preaching and teaching. I've told you this many times before. Maybe it's just sentimental, but I've come in here many times and sat right there in the chair, and I put my phone up on the pulpit, and I've listened to messages by Dr. Hatch and Dr. Hiles and Dr. Robertson. I remember as a kid coming and listening to them preach and their voices echoing off the walls of this building. And think about the great heritage of the Word of God that has come out from this pulpit. And I don't believe there's a member of Central Baptist Church that will be able to stand before God and plead ignorance. We knew. Why? Because we have a heritage of our great-grandfathers and our grandfathers and our fathers. We know what we're to be about. But now God is stirring us as he did Joshua to continue what we know to do. And I believe this morning the reason the church is suffering is simply because of neglect. Simply put, we are dropping the ball. We're dropping the ball. His great-grandfather was the high priest. His, his grandfather was the high priest. His dad was in captivity. And yet now it's time for Joshua to go to the work and do what he knows to do. At least what Paul was stirring Timothy to do. You remember that? You know what Paul's telling Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 6. He says, listen, there was a gift in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And he says, I believe it's in you too. But what did he tell them? It wasn't enough just to possess the gift. He says, you've got to stir up the gift that is in you. Now, folks, listen, we're proud to be part of Central Baptist Church. I'm so thankful. I'm wearing my Central Baptist Church socks this morning. So proud of it. Yesterday when I was about, out about town in, in Monroe, that was the funeral I was at, I stopped by the church to see Brother TJ and visit with them and I uh, walked in. I didn't realize I had my central polo on. I didn't mean to be insensitive. And I told Brother TJ, I said, I apologize. I was kind of convicted about that. I didn't mean to walk in there with my central polo on and be insensitive to folks that were there. And I said, listen, I, I apologize for that. It was just a mistake on my part. It's clothes I had in the trunk of my car and I just threw them on after I got on my suit. He said this. He says, don't, don't apologize. He said, you ought to be proud and thankful of where God's called you. Folks, can I tell you this morning, we ought to be proud. We ought to be thankful to be a part of Central Baptist Church. But can I tell you, possessing the gift of Central Baptist Church is not enough. Just possessing it and holding it in our hands, it's not enough. We've got to do what Paul said to Timothy. He said, your grandmother had it and your mother had it. He said, I believe you have it, but you've got to stir it up. You've got to continue what you know to do. Now, folks, I believe this morning, if we're going to see a change in this country, in this city, Central Baptist Church is going to have to allow God to stir our hearts to continue the work of what we already know to do. We're not going to be able to plead ignorant. The sad thing is this this morning, so many of the world, the lost world, they're doing what they know to do. You see the cities that are burning and you see the looting that's taking place and the violence and the division and all of the, just the, the calamity that we're facing right now. The world's just doing what they know to do. That's the lost world. I expect lost people to act like lost people. The problem is the saved people are not doing what the saved people know we're supposed to do. And we can't expect any change. That's why we have verse 6. You're doing all of this and you're seeing no results. Why? Because you're not doing what you know you should be doing. Ephesians 5, 8, the Bible tells us, For ye were sometimes darkness. Now watch this. For ye were, past tense, sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. I'm thankful to be part of the light, aren't you? I'm thankful I don't walk in darkness anymore. I mean, you know, you walk in darkness. That's when you get hurt. That's when you stub your toe on the way to the bathroom at night because you try not to turn the light on because you don't want to wake your wife up, right? Then you're walking through that dark house and you stub your toe on the end of the dresser and it's the worst pain in the world. Aside from stepping on a Lego, that's the worst pain in the world. Stepping on a Lego. Somebody said one time, if you ever want to defeat terrorism, fly over Afghanistan and just drop Legos everywhere and it'd stop them dead in their tracks. I think they're probably right. You're walking in darkness. That's when you get hurt. I'm thankful. Listen, I don't walk in darkness anymore. Listen, I get to walk in the light. Why? Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me. But can I tell you something this morning? Just because we're in the light doesn't mean you're walking in it. Notice what he says, but now ye are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. You see, it's not a given. Just because you're in the light doesn't mean you're walking in it. You've got to choose. And can I tell you how you kind of get motivated? When God stirs your heart. I pray every time God, every time we come to this church, God stirs our heart to walk a little bit more in the light. Why? Because that's who we are. He tells us in Matthew 5, ye are the salt and ye are the light. That's who we are. But salt and light are supposed to influence. We've got to do what we're called to do. We've got to do who we are, and yet I believe we've dropped the ball. One of the saddest scriptures in all the Word of God is Judges chapter 2. Let me read it for you. Listen close. The Bible says, And also all that generation 
were gathered unto their fathers. This was the generation who saw the great and mighty works of God in the Exodus leading them out of Egypt. This was a generation who saw God work unlike anything we've ever seen, just massive, wonderful miracles that God had done. The Bible says they were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Do you know what that is? That's a gap. It's a gap somewhere. There was a generation who knew it, there was a generation who saw it, there was a generation that was a part of the great work of God, and yet now we have one generation later, and they know not. Let me ask you, how did that gap get there? How did that gap get there? The only way, listen, how are they going to know unless somebody who was there tells them about it? Somebody who saw it, somebody that was a part of it, they've got to make sure they pass that on. I mean, think about a little baby. The Bible says a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And we cry about the great shame that the child is and becomes, but it's because he was left. All right? This generation that knows who has the heritage has got to pass it to the next one. Because if you don't, you're going to create a gap. And then we're going to complain about how bad things are. I believe this this morning that one generation's negligence leads to the next generation's ignorance. Remember that. One generation's negligence will lead to the next generation's ignorance. If we neglect the work of God and we get so self-absorbed living in our own sealed houses that the work of God goes to waste, do not be surprised if the next generation is ignorant of the work of God. Look at our country. We're actually considering socialism. We're actually considering communism. There's people who are embracing it and loving it. When there's people that are still living in this generation who fought against it. And it gave their life. The people who had family members who gave their life to fight against that. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. For the most part, it was public schools. We quit teaching our history. We quit teaching about communism and socialism and the ills and all that brings about. And that it has never worked. Never worked. We quit teaching about that. And so this generation grows up knowing nothing of the great works that were done for this country and against those things. And so that's why they are tempted. They're ignorant of it. Why? Because the generation before neglected to tell them. The Bible tells us in verse number 6, they got busy in their own life. Or tells us in verse number 4, it's a time for you to dwell in your sealed houses. He says, okay. You're so self-absorbed is what he's telling them. He says, my house, my work lies waste. Don't be surprised when we have the results of that. We see things falling apart in great calamity that we are today. Proverbs eleven fourteen, real quickly, the Bible says, where no counsel is, the people fall. Where no counsel is, the people fall. America's falling. America's falling. I didn't think I'd live to see the fall of America, but now I'm pretty confident I will. I didn't think I would live to see the fall of this great nation. I thought my daughter would. I was sure my daughter would. But I didn't think I would live to see it. And yet, America's falling. Why? Because Proverbs eleven fourteen is the word of God. It's truth. And it says, where no counsel is, the people fall. What is counsel? It's direction. If somebody doesn't give direction and education, the Bible says, there's going to be a great fall. And this morning, I believe it's time we got stirred up to do what we know. All right? Listen, Joshua, he was part of the priestly family. Listen, some of you folks, you've been a part of this church longer than I've been alive. Listen, we have a great heritage of great-grandfathers in the faith and grandfathers in the faith and fathers in the faith, all right? We're just like Joshua. It's time we allow God to stir us up to continue what we know to do or else the generation after us is doomed. And the last thing I want you to notice is verse, look back, if you will, to verse number 14. The Bible says, Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, he was the one who knew what to do, and now it's time for him to go do what he knew. The Bible says he stirred the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. The remnant were the leftovers, but don't look down on them because they're leftovers, because, you know, just like a good meal, sometimes it just gets better with time, amen? Let it sit in the refrigerator a little while. And, uh, man, my wife is a wonderful cook. And last night I was studying, got home from the funeral about midnight. And uh, if I'm eating, I'm not sleeping, okay? If I'm sleeping, I'm not eating. That's usually the way it goes. I'm doing one or the other. And uh, I had to have something to stay awake. So I go to the refrigerator and open up, and there's all this wonderful food my wife's cooked. And she puts it in these nice little organized containers. And there was some wonderful shrimp recipe she made. Man, it was good. 
And I'm sitting there looking, and you know that shrimp, the longer it sits there, the more shrimpy it gets, and I love when it's shrimpy. My wife hates the smell of it, but boy, I love it. They're good leftovers, all right? Leftovers aren't always bad things. I want you to notice these people here in verse number 14. They were those who knew the way it was. They were part of the remnant, those that were left behind. This generation had actually seen a few things. And God says this, we're going to need some of them as well. God says, look, in order for this work to get back where it needs to be, we're going to need some people that will be willing to call of God to begin something new as a removable. We're going to need some people like Joshua who know what to do and go back and just start continuing what they knew. But then we're going to need some people that have been there, they've been around a little while. And finally this morning, I want to show you this third group. The third group is those who are returning to what they knew. They're returning to what they knew. I want to tell you one of the saddest things for me as a pastor this morning is when you see people, and I saw, I, I saw it this week, and it breaks my heart. You know, people who, who relish in those that fall, something's wrong with them. Something's wrong with them. The Bible tells us about that, about laughing at the calamity of others. You know, one of the things that breaks my heart, and I saw it this week, is those who once knew of the work of God and were a part of the work of God, and yet they're quitting on God, they're caving in, and they're turning back. Walking away from our Baptist distinctives, they're walking away, more importantly, from the distinctives of which God has called us to in his word. They've been around for a long time. Can I tell you this morning, if we're going to see a revival to the work of God like they did in the, in the book of Haggai, we're going to have to have some people to allow God to return to what they knew, those remnants that were a part of the work. Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, I'll read you a very sweet passage. The Bible says when they laid the foundation of the temple that would be built, a lot of what we're reading about here in the book of Haggai, the Bible says this, but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, the Bible says they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. There were still a few left. That when they laid the foundation of the new temple, there were still just a few of them left that had seen the original one. And when they saw the work going back up like it did the first time, they saw the work of God continuing. They saw the work of God rising up out of the ashes. The Bible says they shouted. The Bible says they shouted for joy with a loud voice and they wept. Why? Because they saw the work of God underway again. It's amazing all throughout Scripture there's a common theme. That no matter how bad things got, God always had a remnant. There's always a remnant. In the Old Testament, you look at Israel, you look at the church in the New Testament when, when things would get down low and the persecution was bad and we talked about on Wednesday night, Nero, or Sunday night, Nero's killing Christians right and left and it just seems like our ranks got thinner and thinner and thinner. God always had a remnant. He always had some. It was kind of like keeping back some seed. They call it seed corn. Where you'd take your crop and you'd harvest your crop and you'd eat some, but you'd stick a little bit aside for seed for next year. God's always had a little bit of seed that he's held back in storage for a, for a new crop to come up, come up. And can I tell you this morning, oh, how we need some godly men and women of God, listen, that are part of that remnant. Some men and women of God who were here and saw the work of God where souls were being saved. I was told that on the, the, the opening day of this sanctuary, when it went all the way to the front, that there was a thousand people here. That what I was told, a thousand people here. Buses running all over Hattiesburg, people being saved. I was eating at a restaurant the other day, pulled out a gospel track, gave it to the young man as he got ready to leave, invited him to come to go to church with us. He took it, he turned it over. Big grin come across his face. You know what he said? This grown man, probably, probably in his 50s. He said, boy, I used to ride a church bus to Central. I used to ride a church bus to Central. You know how many people I run into like that? Who used to ride the church bus or have been to this church, who knew about the former pastors and heard the word of God preached from this place. Listen, there's some of you here that were a part of that. There's some of you here that were a part of that remnant who saw God working and saw the great fruit of the hand of God in this place. And what we need this morning is some of those to be stirred to return to what they knew. Now, folks, can I tell you, and I've got to hurry, can I tell you this morning that you're not ever going to find a perfect preacher. You're never going to find a perfect church. It's not out there. And if you're looking for a fault in this preacher, follow me around for about five minutes after the service, and you'll probably find one. If you're looking for a fault among our membership, just come up to me after church, and I'll point them out to you. No, not really. I won't do that. If you're looking for a reason not to be here, I promise you, you will find it. 
And I understand that all throughout the years in churches all over this country, good Bible preaching churches, listen, it's sometimes the right things were done in the wrong ways and people quit on God because of it. You say, you know what? I don't like that preacher because he did the right thing the wrong way. By the way, can I tell you, even though you do the right thing the wrong way, it doesn't mean the right things are the wrong things. Go back and untie that when you get home and I think it'll make sense to you. We live in this cancel culture. Because preachers may make a mistake from time to time or do something wrong or, or maybe get in the flesh from time to time and get a little angry from time to time. We throw it all out. We live in a cancel culture and we've almost canceled everything out. We canceled each other out. But can I tell you this morning, what God has called us to do here is the greatest work of all. And if we'll focus on that and we'll focus on being used of God and being a part of the work of God, the faults of others will never get us out of the will of God. The Bible says, great peace that have, have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. You keep your focus on this, you'll never quit. Well, you say, well, you know what? Uh, listen, there was a preacher or a Sunday school teacher here and they hurt my feelings, so I quit on God. I've heard that since I've been here. What we need right now is for God to stir the hearts of those that were once a part of the great work of God and allow God to stir them to get back to the work again. Ronald Reagan said this, and I'm going I'm to close. He said, we must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than the lawbreaker. It's time to restore that the American precept that each individual is accountable for his own actions. And you can blame quitting on God, on a preacher, on a Sunday school teacher, or a church member. You can blame that all you want, but you've got to reject that this morning. Why? Because when you stand before God, you're giving an account for yourself, not for them, and they won't give an account for you either. So why don't we decide this morning, you know what? In spite of the imperfectness of people, we're going to let God stir, stir us again to be a part of the work of God. Maybe this morning you're part of those group that's like Zerubbabel. You need to let God stir your heart to begin something new. Or maybe you're like Joshua this morning. You need to let God stir your heart to continue what you already know. Or maybe this morning you've retired a little bit. Look, I know retirement's an exciting thing, but look, we never retire from the work of God. This morning, why don't we let God stir our heart to return to what we knew and what God did here? I want to encourage you today, listen, God's not looking for those that can. God is just simply looking for those that will. This morning, God is searching for some people to stir. God's walking around with his spoon. I wonder how many this morning he'd walk up and down the row. He'd say, I'm just looking for someone to stir. And we'd volunteer and say, here am I, send me. You didn't say who can. You just said who will go. I will go. I want to be a part of your work. Stir me so we get back to the work and see God work in this wonderful place again. And I pray. This is my prayer. My prayer is that Central Baptist Church, those that are a part of this church right now, is that we will not be looked upon as the generation that dropped the ball. Let's not be the generation that created the gap. Let's make sure that we take what we were given and let's pass it to those who've got to carry it on. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's have our pianists come this morning.